good to see everybody here this morning. We have a good crowd. We're glad that you came out to worship the Lord. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Most of us were taught from a young age to say our prayers at bedtime and to say grace when we, before we eat a meal, but for a lot of us, that's where we stop. Unfortunately for a lot of Christians, our prayer life is stuck in childhood. We never got past the blessing for the food, and we never got past saying our prayers at night. Those things we ought to do, and those things we should continue to do. But for many of us as Christians, our prayer lists are mostly a recital of our wish list. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, somebody said sometimes in church the prayer list is kind of like an organ recital. Basically, the Lord help my liver and my heart and my ears and my kidneys. That's kind of the way our prayers are sometimes if we aren't careful. But what if I told you there's a better way? What if I told you that the creator of the universe wants to have an up-close personal relationship with you and the key ingredient in building and nurturing that relationship is prayer. For the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at learning to pray the Jesus way out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. But before we get into specifically about prayer, it's important to set the context. This little paragraph about prayer is simply in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus's probably most well-known teaching. It's Jesus's, if people can quote what Jesus said, somebody's going to, it's going to come out of the, uh, out of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is simply five sermons that Matthew records for us that Jesus preached and uh, by far the most well-known. And when I look at the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm still very tempted to preach a series on the Sermon on the Mount because even digging into just this little series on prayer, I realized just how life-changing the Sermon on the Mount could be. A lot of times today we hear the term cancel culture, and basically when we hear that term, what they mean is we go back and look, America was founded on uh, colonial principles and slave principles, and and those things were bad, so we need to cancel our culture. Uh, and while I don't know that Christians are called to cancel culture, one thing that I am sure about is that we as Christians are called to live counter-culturally. We are called to live different than our culture. And nowhere can that be better seen in the Bible than <coughs> Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls us to be better than the culture in which we live. Jesus says, you look around at the culture and you do better than they do. You do differently. You live differently than they do. Everybody else says this or thinks this. I tell you, you ought to think this away or act that away. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 beginning, the first 12 verses is what we call the Beatitudes. Very simply, characteristics or attitudes of kingdom people. Jesus, in his preaching, talks about the kingdom, the coming kingdom. Jesus, is the first thing he said in his public ministry was to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about how 
kingdom people should live. And, and he starts that out by giving us these characteristics that we call Beatitudes. Then in verses 13 through 16, Jesus tells us that kingdom people, kingdom citizens are salt and light. We should be flavor. We should give light to the world that's round about us. In verses 17 to 48, Jesus Christ tells us, and he tells his disciples then, that he fulfills the law of Moses. He sets a higher standard for kingdom people. He uses six ideas or six themes, and he starts each one of them off by saying, You have heard that it was said, Thou shalt not kill, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about giving oaths. He talks about retaliation. He talks about loving our enemies. And all six of those things starts by saying, Jesus says, you've heard that the law of Moses says this. Jesus then says, but I tell you this. And he calls us to a higher standard. He says, the law of Moses says, thou shalt not kill. He says, I'm telling you, you shouldn't even have the attitude of hating your brother or being angry with your brother. He says, the law of Moses says you shouldn't commit <coughs> adultery. I tell you this, as kingdom people, you shouldn't even have lustful thoughts in your heart. Uh, the law of Moses says you can get divorces for a, a gazillion reasons. Jesus says kingdom people stay married forever. That's God's plan for marriage. So he gives a higher standard. He sets a higher standard than what the law does. And live very, very counterculturally, even in the middle of a religious society like the Jews were, Jesus is calling us to be and live on a higher plane and, and follow a, a higher standard of living, if we could use that term. And then Jesus says in verses uh, 5 to 17, he compares hypocrisy versus true uh, worship. And he does that in three ways. He talks about charity, giving alms, being kind to people. Then he talks praying. And then he talks about fasting. And for this sermon series, we're going to lift verses 5 to 13 out of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at that. We're going to look today about profitable prayers. And then the next three weeks, Lord willing, we're going to look at what's known as the Lord's Prayer. That's really not the proper term for that. The Lord's Prayer is found in John 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples. What we call the Lord's Prayer is actually a model prayer. It's the way that we should design our prayers. That's why I've titled this sermon series, Praying the Jesus Way. Praying the way that Jesus would have us pray. Because I am convinced, just like I said in our announcements, that prayer is the main thing that we can do as a corporate body to draw closer to the Lord as a church. But prayer is also the key ingredient that's going to draw you and draw me into a more intimate relationship with God. And so we're going to be looking at prayer over the next three weeks. And today, verses 5 through 7, we're going to look at profitable prayers. But before we do that, I want to read this entire paragraph that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, 
And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Three do's and don'ts of profitable prayer. Today's lesson is pretty simple, pretty easy outline. Three do's and don'ts. First of all, according to verse 5, don't pray to be seen. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand on the street corners and in the synagogue and and pray that they may be seen of men. We don't need to pray to be seen of men. Jesus says that's hypocritical. He's talking about Jewish religious hypocrites, God-fearing hypocrites. And what Jesus is doing, he carries the previous paragraph. Remember these verses were put in by man. Jesus didn't say, okay, now I'm going to verse 6 and verse 7. Jesus just preached a sermon. And so the previous paragraph Jesus is talking about giving alms and giving charity and doing good deeds. And, and Jesus says, when you do your good deeds, don't do them so that everybody can see you doing the good deeds. And then he says, when you pray, don't pray so that everybody can see you prayer, uh, see you pray. Hypocrisy is when we take an external thing, such as prayer or worship or giving alms or fasting or singing, and instead of making an act of worship between me and God, or between you and God, we actually make it and have a selfish motive, instead of a selfless motive. We do it to be seen, rather than it to be an act of worship between us and God. Now let me say that Jesus here is not giving instructions concerning the posture of prayer. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to stand up and pray. As a matter of fact, the normal posture for Jewish people, especially in public, is to, uh, to stand up. Jesus isn't telling us what the posture of prayer is. He isn't saying you need to stand up or kneel down or lay down or whatever. He's talking about the attitude. And I've read this poem to you before, but I like to read it every chance I get because I think it's a, a pretty good poem. And if you've heard it before, act like you haven't heard it, but it fits perfectly right here. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, and the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast closed and head contritely bowed. 
It seems to me his hands should be austerely clasped in front, when both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Well, last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-sticking up and my head a-pointing down. And I made a prayer right then and there, breast prayer I ever said. The prayingest prayer I ever prayed was standing on my head. <laughs> That's a clever poem, but isn't it a good poem? It doesn't matter. Jesus isn't talking about the proper posture for prayer. But what he is talking about is the attitude of prayer, the posture of our attitude. Uh, and going on, not only is he not condemning, we'll, we'll talk more about posture in a minute. He's not condemning the posture of prayer. He's not so also not condemning public prayer. Uh, the Jews paid, prayed in public quite a bit. As a matter of fact, they went to the temple two or three times a day at certain hours to have public prayer. So Jesus isn't saying that it's wrong to pray in public. Jesus isn't condemning instructive prayers. You know, if you're a Sunday school teacher of three-year-old boys, you would probably want to word your prayer in such a way they would understand, wouldn't you? So that they could see and you can teach through prayers. As a matter of fact, we won't read it, but in John 11:42, at the gravesite of Lazarus, Jesus gave a prayer, and Jesus says, I am not praying this prayer for me and you, Lord. He said, I'm praying this prayer for those around us. So we can actually teach in our prayers. Now, we shouldn't do like some preachers I've heard, that when they give their closing prayer, they preach the sermon again. You know, so that's not necessarily what we're called to do. But Jesus isn't condemning the posture of prayer. He isn't condemning public prayer. He isn't condemning instructive prayer. But what he is condemning is hypocritical prayer. Hypocritical prayer. I found this out this week. The word hypocrite comes from the same word in Greek. It's the same Greek word as the word as where we get our word actor. Both hypocrite and actor means to act behind the mask. When you look in ancient Greece, when the actor would perform a role, they would wear a mask. Have y'all seen like it's a sign of drama today? It might be a smiley face, a sad face, an angry face. They would play their role behind a mask. Well, that's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite has the mask and he's playing a role of one thing, but behind the mask, he's something else. The way we define hypocrisy is to say one thing and act a different way. To act like you're a Christian, but not to live like you're a Christian. Let me suggest to you that Christian prayer is not a role that we're playing. Our prayer life reveals who we are. Now, we can give cute poems like the prayer of Cyrus Brown, and, and we remember that it stays with us. But very seriously, to every one of us sitting here, and me standing here, can I say to all of us that our prayer life reveals who we are? Our prayer life reveals the intimacy that we have in our relationship with God. When Jesus says, don't stand on the corners, don't stand in the synagogues looking to be seen, Jesus is not emphasizing the posture of prayer. Whether he, rather, he is emphasizing the attitude of prayer. 
when we when Jesus says don't stand, Jesus is saying don't you be arrogant in your prayers because that's what standing the standing he's talking about. He's saying look at me, look at me. I'm praying. I'm more righteous than you are. I am more faithful. I'm more godly than you are. Listen to my prayer. Remember in the temple when the Pharisee and the publican made a prayer? And the Pharisee says, I thank God I'm not like this publican. It's an attitude of arrogance. It's an attitude of supremacy that we are the most important thing. Now, I've got a question. While we might never have the nerve to say, well, I just thank God I'm not like brother so-and-so. And Lord, I have my problems, but thank God I'm not like Bob. Thank God I'm not like Susie. Thank God I'm not this way. We might not ever have the nerve to say that, but are we arrogant and do we assume a, a, a air of arrogance in our prayers by when we pray? Do we come into God's throne room saying, God, here's what you need to do. I'm in this situation. I'm sick. I'm hurting. I'm this, I need this job, I need this promotion, and God, what you need to do is you need to give me this, or, or you need to give me that. Or Lord, this situation's happening in a certain way, and, and here's what you need to do. And while we may never say that that's what we do, is that the way we're sounding when we give our prayers? We tell God what we need and how he should react let me tell you what, when you think about what you pray, and that's the way your prayers are being worded, you need to be careful. I need to be careful. We need to be aware. This idea of hypocritical prayer, I read this this week, and I thought it was a terrific sentence, and so I wrote it down and included it in this lesson. Hypocritical, hypocritical prayer carries with it the intention of attention. The intention of attention. In other words, we're praying to get attention. We're praying so everybody can see what we're doing, what we're doing, how we're praying, how we sound. Oh, didn't they give the most wonderful, eloquent prayer? Wasn't that such a wonderful prayer? And we're going, yeah, you know, it kind of was. Uh, it's probably in the Hall of Fame of prayers that that God has. It's it's on the. It really was a good. Prayer. If that's if we're praying to get the attaboys. We'll talk about this a little bit more. That's who Jesus is talking to. We have the intention to get attention. Now, he also talks about giving, doing good to other people. Let's say we know somebody needs a coat. And so we have an extra coat at home, so we take the coat to their house. And before we do, we call Channel 5, Channel 4, and Channel 2. And Channel 17 and the newspaper. So they can find out and make sure that they know who's given that coat. He talks about fasting in the next paragraph. He says when they fast, they get their face all scrunched up. Like, oh, I'm so, look, I'm, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting, but I'm faithful. I'm, look at me. It's the intention of attention. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We intend to draw attention to ourselves. Now we can flip this. Not only do we sometimes do some of our acts of worship like prayer, fasting, giving alms, doing good, to be seen, sometimes we fail to do what we ought to do because of what we think somebody might think. 
And I'm just going to use this for example. What about raising our hands in worship? Uh, the faith tradition I grew up in, we didn't do that. Uh, there was a lady one time that came and uh, she was visiting and the preacher said something and the lady said, praise the Lord. Out loud, the first time everybody just kind of looked at her. And the second time she did it, one of the elders got up and said that uh, we, we, uh, we don't say that out loud here. She said, I just said, praise the Lord. He said, we don't do that here. And then she said, well, I got the spirit. And he said, well, you didn't get it here. <laughs> but I've got a question. How many of us in our worship, maybe we're moved to raise our hands, but we fail to do so because of what somebody might think? That's hypocrisy in reverse. It's still putting the focus of attention on what somebody else says, right? Now, I'm not, we're never commanded to raise our hands in worship. However, I do have counted at least nine times in Scripture where that's done. So it's definitely a scriptural thing. Or maybe there's a song that we really like and we just really want to sing out loud. But in our minds we think we can't carry a tune and so we're afraid we're going to offend folks if we sing real loud, so we, we sing softly. Once again, in a very real way, that's the intention of attention. We're worried about what everybody else thinks. If we are praying to God in public, we need to remember we're praying to God. We're praying to an audience of one. That's our audience. When we're worshiping God in song, we're worshiping. The audience is it, it, it's one. When I was a music minister, I had to tell our choir over and over again that the people sitting in the pews are not the audience. Our job as the choir is to lead the audience in worship to God. It's an audience of one. This morning, my goal as a preacher is to give God's message to you. It's not for you to say, "Attaboy, that's a good that's a good sermon." I really enjoyed that sermon. Because sometimes I'm going to preach a sermon you might not enjoy. But God needs us to hear it. And you can rest assured that if I step on your toes, that God stepped on my toes already all week. And I feel like that I should let you join in that with me. And me not be by myself. God is condemning hypocritical prayer. When you pray, don't do like they do. Religious hypocrisy is defined by either doing something to get attention or failing to do something due to a fear of man. Man becomes the primary motivation <laughs> instead of being primarily motivated by our relationship with God. The intention of attention. And you know what? Jesus tells us here in verse 5 that hypocritical prayer is the most successful type of prayer that you could possibly have. Because look what he says in verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing on the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. If you're praying, if you're giving alms, if you're fasting, if you're whatever you're doing religiously, if your goal is to do it to be seen, let me tell you what, you have your reward. You've been seen. 
When you get your attaboy, that prayer's been answered. But let me tell you this. And I made this sentence up all by myself. Well, me and the Holy Spirit. Just because you have your reward doesn't mean your prayer is profitable. If you're given a hypocritical prayer and you have your reward, it doesn't mean your prayer is profitable because a hypocritical prayer will end up in bankruptcy. When it becomes you and God, there's going to be nothing there. So we don't need to pray. Don't pray to be seen. Secondly, pray to be heard. In verse 6, pray to be heard. He says, don't pray hypocritically, verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Listen to me now. The purpose of prayer, whether it is public prayer or private prayer, the purpose of prayer is not to be seen of men, but to be heard by God. That's the purpose of our prayer. Jesus isn't condemning public prayer. And public prayer time is critical in the life of a local church. We need to have public prayer. We probably ought to have more public prayer than we do. But with that being said, if your prayer life is limited to the times we pray here in public, at church, your Christian life and your Christian relationship with God will be dry, unproductive, and ultimately unfulfilling. Public prayers are important, but a relationship with God is built through your private, quiet time with God. Private time, quiet time, prayers with God, it's a time of intimacy. When I was growing up, and y'all might have been this way too, when I was growing up, my mother and father's bedroom was off limits. We did not go in there. It was kind of like going to the Holy of Holies. We were not allowed to go there unless we get struck dead. That was mom and dad. And even now, when I go to my mom's house and She'll say, oh, just lay your coats and your purses in there on the bedroom. When I walk into that bedroom, I'm still kind of like, I'm trying to pitch it and then I get back because I'm not supposed to go in there. It's a time of, that was mom and dad's place. And you know, as much fun as Marie and I have, we went to Applebee's the other night and we ate and we had a really good time, had a really good meal, had a really good server. You know, any more customer services got to where you can't hardly find it anymore. But the time I cherish most with Marie is that time when we go to bed at night together there in our bedroom where we're talking and we're saying what's on our mind and those thoughts. When we first wake up together the next morning, that's where Marie and I get close to one another. That's where you and your husband get close to one another. We can talk while we're in Applebee's, but you know what? I'm also watching that woman with the funny hat and wonder why in the world she'd wear that out in public. No matter how much when we're in public with people, we can talk to them and we can do things like turn our phones off and try to pay attention to them. But you can't be as intimate as you are when you are alone with that person and at a quiet place and at a quiet time. Now we can pray, to, and it's terrific to pray in public. 
I, the, the prayers we have had at prayer meeting, kid you not, the last two weeks, we, we prayed, we poured our hearts out to God, and, and it's a great thing. It's an intimate thing. But you know what? There's still, it's still not as close as it is when you have quiet time with God. Your private times, your prayer time, intimate time. He, Jesus says here, when you pray, go to your room. Now, Jesus isn't necessarily specifically talking about a literal prayer room because in first century Palestine, they generally had one-room houses. They didn't have closets. And that. But Jesus is saying, get your private time with God where it's just you and God. And I want to suggest something else. When you're in your quiet time with God, it's important to pray and say what's on your mind. But when you're in your quiet time with God, there's times we probably just need to be quiet. Hence the term quiet time. This morning I sat on my porch and was drinking coffee. And I was by myself and listening to the birds tweet and listening to, wind, to the wind blow. And while I was sitting there, I, I just got so calm and peaceful. And all of a sudden, just as sure as God had been sitting right next to me, I heard just that still small voice that says, you need to do this more often. Quiet time. We don't need to be praying to be seen. We need to be praying to be heard. Because notice how this is worded. In verse 6, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Have you ever thought about what this is saying? A lot of times we read over this very quickly. Well, we just need to have quiet time with God. This verse says that the Father, God, is in the secret place or in the quiet place or in the private place. What this means is there is a part of God that he cannot reveal to us unless we get with him in our quiet time. Our quiet time, God will tell us what needs changing. In our quiet time, God will tell us where we can grow. He can tell us what we need to change. He can tell us what we need to do. He can tell us what we need to quit doing so that we can grow closer to him. And in our quiet time, God reveals who he is and what he is doing. Did you know God is working around us right now? God is always at work. And the reason that we miss it quite often is because we're so busy we don't see where he's working. In our quiet time, God will reveal that to us. Praying to be heard. Secret time, quiet time is where we come to know God. And just like those who pray in public to get the attaboys, to get the pat on the back, just like those that pray in public have their reward, when we desire to be quiet with God and to be intimate with God and to get to know God better, we too will find our reward. Because intimacy with God is its own reward. If the only prayer you're praying, if the only time you have prayer in your life is at church on Sunday morning, you're missing everything that God wants to do with just you and God. 
Because as much as I love my father and my mother and my brother and my sister, and just as much as I love Marie and her kids and Riley and all my family, as much as I love all of them, God wants to give me something that I can't find through anybody except Him. That should be our most intimate relationship. And the way that we come to know God is through prayer. And I know we do it through Bible study as well. But let me tell you what will happen in your intimate times, in your quiet times, in your private times with God. God will take those things that you've read in your Bible study and He will lay on your heart what that means for you. We can read the same passage and we may be at different places in our walk with God where there's different applications. Amen? And God reveals that in our quiet times. Somebody used to ask me, why do you drive to Nashville? Don't you hate that drive? I don't mind driving 45 minutes to work because a lot of times going to work for me, that's my quiet time with God. He and I talk and for so you're going to get in, you're going to drive, you probably ought to have a quiet time with God before you take off. But we do, we have that quiet time. And I don't know when you're quiet, I don't know how your schedule works, so uh, you may be a morning person, you may be a night owl, but you need to take time to pray to be heard. Not to be seen, but to be heard. And you know what? God could have, Jesus could have stopped this thought right here and everything would be cool, but he gives us one more verse. He says in verse 7, oh, by the way, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Well, they think that they will be heard for their many deeds. Don't pray to be seen. Pray to be heard. And also, pray to be meaningful. Pray to be meaningful. Sometimes we feel the longer we pray, the more eloquently we pray, the bigger words that we use, the greater the payoff. Jesus says that's the way the heathen pray. The heathens pray. Did you know the heathens pray? Well, how do you know that? You remember in 1 Kings 8 when Elijah had the showdown with Baal and uh, Baal and Ashtoreth's prophets and prophetesses on Mount Carmel? They spent half a day praying and crying to their God. Hear us, Baal, hear us, and Elijah's making fun of them. Why don't you holler a little bit louder? Maybe he's asleep and they can't hear you. So they hollered louder, and then Elijah said, maybe he's on a trip. You better even be better. And they're praying, they're cutting themselves so that God, their God will hear them. That's the way the heathens pray. In Acts chapter 19, we're getting ready to study that in a couple of weeks in our Acts class. In the city of Ephesus, Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Diana, or Artemis is the Greek god. So depending on which translation of the Bible you read, uh, it's going to say Diana or Artemis. But it says that the, when, when Paul came and he was preaching uh, to the Christians, so many people, so many of the Ephesians were coming to the Lord that uh, they were burning all their books, their witchcraft books, and they were burning all their stuff that they were, their idols they had to Diana. Well, that got the people riled up and they had a riot. And for two hours they kept hollering, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great as Diana did for two hours, over and over and over again. And it's kind of funny, one of the public officials says, well, one thing we know, great as Diana of the Ephesians, because they've been hollering it for two hours. The problem was, in 1 Kings 18, 
No matter how hollered, how loud they hollered to Baal, Baal couldn't hear them, amen? Because Baal wasn't there. No matter how loud the Ephesians hollered to Artemis or to Diana, Diana or Artemis couldn't hear because they weren't there. They weren't real. We need to pray to be meaningful. And just like I said, I read that quote about hypocrisy is the intention of attention. I read something about wordy prayers this week, and I, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Here it is. This is profound. Are you ready? Running off at the mouth doesn't gain any favor with God. God's not interested in how long we pray. God isn't interested in how wordy our prayer is. Running off in the mouth doesn't gain favor with God. Did you know God's not going to show us any more favor if we give a long prayer or a short prayer? God's not going to show us any more favor if we help the poor or don't help the poor. God's not going to show us any more favor if we fast or don't fast. You know what? God showed us all the favor he could show us when he sent his son to die on the cross, to die for us. That's all the favor God will show us. Now listen to me here. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. We're not going to get any closer to God with our wordy prayers. In fact, Jesus says, don't be like them. And notice what he says next in verse 7. Or verse 8, rather. Therefore, don't be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ever ask Him. God in heaven knows what we need before we ever ask. And if you're like me, I tend to fill up my prayers with so many of my wants that it gets to the point I don't even know what I need. Because I'm so filled, so busy asking for my wants. We say, God, give me strength to take care of my ailing mother. God, give me money to pay my bills. God, cure my body of cancer. And so often when we pour out our wants to God, we forget that quite often, God has something better for us. And we don't even know how to ask for it. As a matter of fact, you remember when Paul asked to be, asked that his thorn in the flesh be taken away? And we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. We don't know if it was physical, spiritual. We don't know. But three times God says, or Paul said, God, remove this thorn in the flesh. God says, no, Paul, I'm not going to do that. But he said, I've got something else for you even better. He said, I'm not going to take away your thorn, but I'm going to give you grace. Remember Joseph in Genesis? Joseph wanted to be out of jail. Joseph had been locked up for nothing he had done. And more than anything, he wanted to be out of jail. But God kept him in jail for two years. But you know what God did? God didn't let him out of jail right away, but God made him second in command in Egypt. God had something better in mind. And we think we know what we need. But really and truly, we don't know. And a lot of times when we offer up those wordy prayers, all we're doing is simply telling God what God already knows. God knows what our needs are before we ever ask. 
So don't worry about wordy prayers. Be sure you are offering up meaningful prayers. Well, as we wrap this up, how do we do that? In your secret times, and your quiet times, and your private times, pour out your heart to God. Don't get so busy telling God what you need and what you want that you just pour out how you're feeling. God, I'm lost. God, I'm wandering. God, I don't know what my purpose is. God, I've sinned. God, I feel weak. God, I feel helpless. Pour out your heart to God and let God take his arms and wrap his arms around you and hold you tight and say, my child, I've got you right here. But not only in your quiet times do you need to cry out to God what's on your heart. You also need to listen to what God wants for you to do next and surrender to him in your private time. When you get off of your knees in prayer and you sense God telling you to do something, surrender to him and do it. And let me tell you that a rich prayer life only happens from a rich relationship with God. The depth of our prayer life with God reveals how deep our relationship is with Him. Do you have a relationship with God the Father this morning? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The only way to get into relationship with the Father is through Jesus the Son. Admit you're a sinner. Understand that you can't save yourself, but Jesus died on the cross to save you. He takes your sin. You take his blood. He takes your wrongs, and he gives you his righteousness. And when God looks down on you, or he looks down on me from heaven, just like when the death angel passed over those Israelites in Egypt and the angel saw the blood and says, I'll pass over you. God looks at me. And he looks at you if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. And he doesn't see your sins. He sees the blood of Jesus and says, that's my child. God doesn't have favorites, but God has intimates. How intimate are you with God this morning? Miss Mary, Roger, if y'all make y'all's way on up, What's God been telling you in your quiet time as to what is it you need to do next? Do you need to trust Jesus as your Savior for the very first time? We're going to give you the opportunity to do that here in just a little bit. Maybe you've done that and maybe you've never made a public confession of your trust in Jesus Christ through baptism. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe God is calling on you to place membership with the church here. Maybe God is calling you to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe God is, whatever the next step is. You see, God doesn't call us just to let us sit here. And I don't know what your next step is, but one thing I do know is the fact that your next step is not to just sit here. God doesn't call us to sit. God calls us to move forward, to walk with him. And walking implies moving. Amen? Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us today and just thank you for just through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come into your throne room and pray. And I just pray that each of us here would develop a more robust private prayer life with you. Because I know that that's where we grow with you. And Father, whatever condition we find ourselves setting here, I pray your Holy Spirit will peel back the layers of our heart and reveal to us what our next step is in our relationship with you. And, and whatever that step is, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.